Well, listen, we're going to go ahead and get into it. I have been doing a sermon series called uh, Copy and Shadow. What we've been talking about is how the author of Hebrews basically says, like, when you look at the Old Testament and you see the tabernacle and all of the elements in the tabernacle, all of the stations and all of the equipment that was built for the tabernacle, basically he's saying those are a copy and shadow of heavenly things. And the last two weeks we talked about the first place that you came to that was the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar where the lamb was slain, which was representative of Christ our sacrifice, the lamb of God who who was given for the sins of the world. His own blood was shed for us. And then after that we talked about last week the bronze laver that you moved to because it's not enough to just be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus, but you need to have an ongoing relationship with God where you're being cleansed by the water of the word of God and being sanctified and set apart for you and service for God by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this third, this third part that I want to get into is called the table of showbread. Now they would have been entering into the holy place and, and, and he would have went to the table of showbread. And I want to talk about that this morning, but the title of my message is Bread of Presence. Now, you know, I, I talked to several people this week about, about worship, it seems like. We had a lot of ongoing conversations. People were asking me about worship. They were asking me about music. Somebody had talked to, to me about our worship night, why we do that, why we feel it's necessary to sing eight songs and stuff like that. Is that a little bit overkill or this or that? See, we have a very particular belief here at City of Hope Church. And one of the, one of the beliefs that we have is that we believe that the presence of God is real. Amen. I pr- I'm telling you right now that if, if the presence of God were not a reality, I would still be on drugs. Amen. But if it were not for God showing up in my life and not just being somebody who lived in a book, thank God for the Bible. Y'all know we're all about the Word here. I believe in the Word of God. But I also believe in the Spirit of God who wrote the Word and brings life to the Word. And I also believe that God has given us instructions in Scripture and He says that He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. And so when we have a worship leader that says something like, let's just linger here for a minute, it's not because she likes to sing songs very long. It's because she believes that possibly God might show up in a profound way in your life. And so that's what we believe here. I know everybody doesn't believe that way. I know everybody doesn't believe that way. I know that a lot of people think that songs are just theology and so therefore the lyrics have to be just so-so. And I believe that too. I believe that as you're singing songs, you're singing theology. They should be good. They should be really good. But I believe that as you pour your heart out to God, that God shows up in the room. I believe His presence begins to manifest in our midst. That's why we have worship nights. Because I, I'm telling you, I was, had so many addictions. And what set me free was an encounter with the living God when His presence showed up in my life. The Scripture says that in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And when you get a taste of God's presence, all of a sudden, drugs and sex and all these other things, they lose their taste because you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. Amen. So we believe in presence. We believe in worshiping God. We believe in praise. And I know that many of you, you're on the fence about those types of things. But here's what I would say. I would suggest to you to not count your chickens before they hatch. And you need to assume a a, a place of humility to say, maybe I don't understand everything there is to know about worship and, and praise. And maybe I can open my heart up as we sang this morning to the Lord in a new way and say, Lord, if that's real, if that's a reality, then I want to learn how to worship you. I want to learn how to give you the glory that you deserve because I want to experience you in a new and a life-giving way. Amen. So we want to talk about the bread of presence this morning because it has something to do very specifically with that. But the high priest, uh, 
is, he's the guy that's in the role in this, right? They would come in, they would bring their sacrifice to the high priest, and he would take their sacrifice, offer it on the altar. He would move on to the bronze laver, and he would wash his hands. And then he would go into the holy place, which nobody else could go into except the high priest and his sons. He was the only one that was able to serve in the holy place. Put a picture of my high priest up there, if you would. Y'all can see him a little bit. I know you can't read that. If you can, you've got some really good eyesight. You're like an eagle. Uh, but, but now let's move on to the next one because you can kind of see what he would wear. But see, one of the things that he would have on is he would have on a linen garment. Now, the high priest in the Old Testament typifies Jesus Christ because if you read in Hebrews, it says that we have a great high priest, right? We have a high priest that put away all other high priests. There's no more high priest. Jesus is the one great high priest. And we have him, and it says that the, script, the Scripture says that you don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with your weaknesses, but he was at all points the same way you're tempted, the same way you go through trials he went through the same trials and was tempted and tested just like you were but was without sin and he went into the holy place on your behalf and offered the blood of himself on the sacrificial altar so that there'd never have to be an altar an offering or sacrifice offered again and now he says because of that you can come boldly to the throne of grace there's not, it's not just one man that gets to enter into the presence of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, you get to enter into the presence of God by faith. Amen. He's our high priest. And what he wore represented something. The first thing that he wore was the high priest would wear a linen garment. And linen, the linen garment, white, represented the righteousness and the holiness of God, the purity. It was the first thing they put on. It's like an undergarment, right? It's your underwear. You got to have underwear on first. And they put it on first. And the reason they put it on first is because when you get saved and you give your life to Jesus, the first thing that He clothes you with is His righteousness. What that means is that when I came into church this morning and I began to worship God, He didn't receive my worship as the dirty, filthy piece of trash that I am. He received my worship as if Christ Himself was coming before Him and offering it. Why? Because when He looks at me, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's why He says, I can come boldly. I don't know about you, that's good news because a lot of you, you came in here with a little bit of some stuff this morning, didn't you? You may have said something to somebody before you got here this morning. You and your wife got to fight in a car on the way here. You're thinking, I can't offer no worship to the Lord. Good thing you're wearing Christ's righteousness and not your own. Amen. So then it goes to the next one and it says uh, that he wore a, what was called a holy meter. And, and this is just, he had a white turban and it was designed, this turban was designed to wick away moisture so that if he was sweating while he was laboring, it would deal with his sweat and his hard toils. And the idea is this, is that, uh, listen, in our minds, how many of you got anxious thoughts this morning? You tore up about some stuff every now and then. It's saying that he wants to, he wants to give you the mind of Christ to deal with your thought patterns and to deal with your thought life. But see, here's the thing. You may say, well, I've not done anything bad, but my thoughts are crazy. And if God got into my mind he would reject me well guess what the gold represents the divine and it had all the names of Israel around his head which means that one you are on his mind and two when you come into his presence he's not just thinking about your thoughts but he's thinking about his thoughts toward you and his thoughts toward you are always good even when your thoughts aren't that good amen and he still receives you even when your thoughts are not that good because he has offered up a sacrifice for you amen next one now he's got on another piece. He's got on these shoulder plates. And on his shoulders, again, had the names of Israel. And what this means is that he would carry you on his shoulders. You know that Jesus said that God the Father would leave the 99 
to go after the one. And when he found him, he would put him on his shoulders and he would pack him. This means that when you feel weak, when you feel burdened, when you feel like you can't take another step, Jesus says, guess what? You're always on my shoulders. I'm always carrying you because I'm the strong one. You don't have to be the strong one because actually in your weakness, my strength is going to be made perfect. It all represents Jesus and his work in us. And then lastly, I've got this last one, but this is the breastplate. And this would have 12 stones and this was the most expensive. And it has to do with Christ's heart. Each one of those stones had the names of the children of Israel. In other words, his, your name is on Christ's heart. He's, you're constantly on his heart, and he wears that for you because he carries you in his heart. And underneath that, hidden behind that, was a very specific article, a little, two little stones. And it was called the Urim and the Tumim. You can read about this in the Old Testament, right? I ain't got time. There's so much. I, told, I said, so I got like enough notes on the, the tabernacle and the high priest to preach about six hours a day. So I'm going to at least get us done before worship night tonight. Amen. <laughs> Uh, but now I got to cut a lot of stuff out. But but they would have the Urim and the Tumim on the inside, and what the, what the priests would do is they would actually ask God a question. And if you read in the Old Testament, there would be specific answers from the Lord, wouldn't there? What would happen is that was the stone of lights that was behind his breastplate, and it would literally light up letters on his breastplate, and they would have answers to the questions that they asked God, whether they would go up and do battle or whether they would refrain. And it would give them instruction from within behind his heart. It's the, it's the representation of the Holy Spirit who lives within, who leads you, who guides you, who gives you direction. Amen. This is good, isn't it? We got a good high priest, y'all. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jesus is interceding for you right now on your behalf. You say, well, I don't know if God's going to accept me. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. See, in the, in the tabernacle, there were all kinds of pieces. You've got a barbecue pit out front where they'd slay the lamb, you know, just like at our house, y'all. You know, you, how many of you like smoked meats, right? Amen. They, they had smoked meats out there. They would eat the meats after they would offer up the sacrifice. Then they'd go to the sink and they'd wash your, their hands because got, you got a sink in your house where you wash your hands. Then they go in, they got a table of showbread where they sit down and eat. They got a lamp stand just like you got lights to keep the lights on in the house. And then if, like all you women, right, they had the altar of incense. My, my Andrea, she got one of them like wax melting candle things setting up where every cord is. So when I reach for something, I just knock wax everywhere. It's in the carpet. Oh, but it smells good, praise the Lord. And you know, where, you know where that's at in the tabernacle? It's right in the center. God says, you know what? I like smell goods too. And he let the altar of incense go right up in it. And so you've got all this stuff in the house. You know the one article that you don't have in the tabernacle that you do have in your home? There's no recliner. There's no chair. There's no place to see it. Why is there no place to see it? It was representative of the fact that the priest's work was never done. The sins were never paid for. When they went in, they were never allowed to sit. Sometimes they would have to stand from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. waiting on the sacrifices and waiting on the time. And they were never allowed to sit because their work was not finished. This is why it says emphatically in the Scripture that when Jesus Christ died for your sins, He was raised again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and what? He was seated at the right hand of God the Father. He was saying, the work is done. I don't have to stand up anymore. I can sit down because it is finished. Your salvation has been purchased. Your redemption has been bought. The work is finished. And guess what's even better? He says, now he's raised you up from the dead and he's made you to sit together with him in heavenly places. That means that there's a, there's a reality in Christ that we can come into his presence and rest. And not strive, man. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I, throughout the week, I get burdened, man. I come into the presence of God, and I just think, Lord, I'm just grateful that I can sit here and worship you. And you can show up in spite of me because I ain't that great. But Jesus is great, and I got a high priest who went in before me. 
And he's made it so that I can come and I can have access into the presence of God. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. Here's what it says in Exodus 25, verse 23 through 30. It talks about the table of showbread. It says, You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. Notice how everything in the holy place is gold. Everything outside is what? It's bronze. Bronze represents judgment. Everything outside of the holy place had to be dealt with. It had to do with our sins. But all of a sudden, once our sins are dealt with, we enter into the divine. We enter into the place where the gold area is. And you enter into that place where you can begin to see. You see the difference there. Verse 26, it says, And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and fasten the rings to the four corners of it at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls to which to pour drink offerings. I'm going to tell Andrea later, go get me something to drink, make sure you put it in a flagon, whatever that is. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread... Of, notice, notice this. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Number one, first point, is the table of showbread reveals God's provision. The table of showbread reveals God's provision very specifically. And provision is important because, I mean, I, I guarantee, I was praying last night about this. I thought, you know what, Lord, there are going to be people that come in here that right now they're worried about their future. They're whether or not God, worried about whether or not God's going to provide money for them. They're worried about whether or not God is going to provide a job for them in the future. They're worried about whether or not there's going to be jobs in the future. They're worried about whether they're going to be able to make ends meet. And I'm telling you right now, God is your provision. And that is what He's trying to teach us in the table of showbread. That's what He represents. He represents to Israel and the people of God that, look, I am your provider. Anything you have need of at the end of the day, I know exactly what you need when you need it. And you can trust me for that. Even when you feel like things are not coming together and things are not lining up I have things in order I've seen things before you saw them and I know where you are at in life and I have every intention of, of providing exactly what you need now let's put a let's put a pick of the table so they actually come you can go to the next one let's see the actual table of showbread so you see the priest come in there and so then when he would come he would come to this table of showbread and you would see six loaves on the left and six loaves on the right and it very accurately represented on purpose the 12 tribes of Israel and this was to mean that all of the 12 tribes all of the people of God were represented and it had to do with the communion that they had with God he was demonstrating to them that look you have this communion with me because whenever we want to get to know somebody better what do we say we say let's go out to eat let's sit down let's have a meal God is inviting them into this feast where they can have that, where they can have very intimate communion with God and they can feast. And he even told them, see, but it's not just about this intimate communion. It's about the provision that he brings. And it's called the bread of God's face or the bread of God's presence. He's saying, you've got to come into this place where you learn not only that I'm, am I your provision, but my very presence is what the provision of God is. My very presence, you looking into my face, you knowing me, you having intimate relationship with me where you sit down for a moment and you know that not only do you know me, but I fully know you. 
And that's what we're all craving. We're craving a relationship with God where we, where we could live in that reality and in that realm. Now, God, see, they come into a wilderness, right? You remember when they went into the wilderness, one of the first things they said as soon as they got over on the Red Sea, after they were delivered from bondage in Egypt, after they were delivered from slavery and all those things, the same way that we're delivered from sin, they come out on the other side and immediately they've got nothing to eat. They begin to complain and grumble and say, God, there ain't nothing out here to eat. There's nothing out here to drink. And God comes to Moses and said, I'm going to rain manna down from heaven. And every day he'd say, you're going to go out and you're going to collect just enough bread for the day. And it's the same thing that Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, it's, it'll worry about itself. you got just enough grace for today. And you need to learn and understand that God will provide for you each and every day. So they would go out and they would pick up just enough to eat. And he said, if you get too much, he said, it's going to rot. He said, all you need to do is worry about today. I'll worry about tomorrow. I'll worry about tomorrow. You can go out each day and I will give you, this is why Jesus prayed it, I will give you your daily bread. And you can rest in that because it's a finished work. Now, the priest would come in and on every Sabbath, that bread would sit there and it would stay fresh. Now, notice this. Out in the wilderness, guess what? That bread would go bad next day. In the presence of God, the bread never went bad. It stayed there the whole time. And on the seventh day, they would come in on the Sabbath and the priest would eat that bread. And they would eat that bread and then they would replace it with 12 new loaves each Sabbath. And the, the priest was the only one that could go in. And see, here's the, here's the thing about it. This is what that means for you and I. That every day, and even on Sabbath specifically, right? Now we don't, Jesus is our Sabbath. I don't know if you realize that or not. We don't necessarily just celebrate the Sabbath the way that they did in the Old Covenant. But Jesus has become our Sabbath. He is our rest. But see, when we come to God, we eat and we feast on His presence the same way that the priests did. And as we eat and we feast on, our presence, on His presence, we are strengthened so that we can go out and minister to the people. Here's what we do a lot of times as Christians. We function out of principle rather than presence. What's that mean? That means that you'll go out in the community and serve because you know it's the good thing to do. Or you'll go and you'll talk to somebody about Jesus because you know it's the right thing to do. But listen, before long, when you function only out of principle, you begin to get burnt out. You don't have any strength. You get weary. You get tired. You get aggravated. That's why sometimes people will come to church and like, Psh, and they got an attitude just because they got to serve somewhere. Amen. Anybody ever seen them people? Right? Why you got an attitude? Because you've not been eating at the bread of presence. If you had been in the presence of God this week, you would be so overflowing with love and joy to serve somebody else that because you were feasting on the presence of God. But you're just doing it out of principle. You're just doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. And if anybody looks at you, at least they'll say, well, at least he's, at least he's doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? But listen, we don't function out of principle. We function out of presence. Every day they had to come into the presence of God. They had to feast on His presence. That's why nothing, listen to me folks, nothing is more important than your personal relationship with God in the secret place. That you engage in God's presence on a daily basis and you receive daily bread from God at His table because He has a table that is prepared for you. Now, the bread was a visual picture of God's provision for them, just like we said, and He was programming them essentially to have a reflex that, listen, I'm going to provide for you and you guys are going to learn to depend on me. Now, this is rough for Americans, isn't it? Because, like, anytime we get hungry, we go to McDonald's. 
Anytime we get thirsty, we don't just go get water somewhere. Some we go to Starbucks and get like a double latte frappuccino with three squirts of this. And like, you know what I'm saying? We are picky. We are oversaturated with the goods of this world. And there are people in our world that literally do not have clean water to drink from. Well, in Jesus' time and when they were in the wilderness, man, the reason, you know, sometimes people will say, how come you think there are more miracles overseas than there are in America? Well, I don't know that that's reality. I think it probably is a reality. I mean, I, I, hear, I got friends that live in Africa. I got friends that live in India. And miracles are actually very commonplace over there. Here, they're not so commonplace. But the reason I think they're not as commonplace over here is because we have a Western mindset. We think of God in different terms. And here's the other thing, that, and this is, this is what's scary in our generation, is that we're actually be, beginning to trust science more than we trust God. I know a lot of people be like, oh, don't say that, Clay. Why, did I just touch on your God a little bit? Did I just hit on your God? I don't, I'm coming after that, son. I'm going to tear that down. Science is a good thing, folks. Science has been given to us, guess by who? God. He's the one who designed the earth and how it functions and how the earth rotates and how viruses operate and all of the things that are in your body. God designed those things. He's the greatest scientist that ever existed. And you cannot elevate how you study those things above God Himself. They don't get bigger. God is God. Science is science. Keep them where they, keep them where they belong. But here's the issue, like I said, is we don't need miracles. Why? We get sick, we'll go to the doctor. If we get hungry, we'll go get something to eat. But over there, man, when they get hungry, they need a miracle. They need somebody to show up. When they get sick, they can't go to the doctor. They need God to show up. And that kind of desperation leads to a place of faith. But see, we're not desperate. We don't have faith. We don't believe God for greater things because we can do it ourselves. And we've stopped learning to depend on God for our provision. We've stopped learning to depend on Him. We don't even ask Him. When things come up, we just say, we can get that. We can go get that. I just go get another job. I'll take care of that. You know, we, we think, and we've learned how to not depend. And God dealt with them about this. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, He says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Notice what He says. And He humbled you and let you hunger. Why would God let you hunger? And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Then notice what he says. Those 40 years you were in the wilderness, your clothing did not wear out, and you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Your clothing never wore out. You were never hungry. But there was a moment where God what? He, all of a sudden, he let you hunger. Why does God sometimes allow you to hunger? Y'all ever get in a position where you're like, where's God at? We need something to come through right here. Why does He allow you to get into those positions? Because you're not trusting Him right now. If I'm not trusting God, you know what? He would, he would rather bring me into a place where I trust Him and take some things from me so that with my heart would shift. If I'm in an overabundance of everything that I ever need all the time, He even told them, He said, if, you give, if I give you everything right now, you'll get to a place where you say, we don't need God. Our hand and our might have gotten us this wealth. And if I ever get into a place, there's a lot of things right now that I need. Listen, there's a lot of things I need right here in ministry. I told somebody the other day, I might get up to this morning and say, anybody want to write a half a million dollar check? We, we ain't too good for your money you know what I'm saying 
Like we'll, we'll take what... We'll, there are things we need to do. There are things that I need. And there's things, I mean, I wear old men's shebs over there working on this roof every single week because it leaks like crazy. There are things that we need. Don't get me wrong. But, but here's what God says to me, Clay. It's good for you to be in that position. It's good for you to be in need. It's good for you to be in hunger. Why, Clay? Because if I gave you everything all at once, you would stop depending on me. I'm allowing you to hunger to see what's in your heart. I'm allowing you to hunger to see whether or not you're going to trust me or you're going to go on striving trying to figure it out yourself. And God's saying, I let y'all hunger because I'm trying to figure out what's in your heart, whether you would obey me and whether you would learn to understand that man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Are you listening for what I'm saying or are you just trying to go on your own agenda waiting on, on God to do what you want him to do? And sometimes he may take a little th- some things from you, but he says, look, I tested you. And here's what I want to ask you the question is, can you trust God to give you exactly what you need when you need it? Y'all ever been in a position where you're praying God for something? I've heard so many testimonies. People come to me and they say, you know what, Clay? I mean, I, I would come to church. I would do this. I would do that. But I asked God to do this, and he let me down. Anybody ever, anybody ever been there? You've probably been there. I've been there. I asked God to do some things. I remember me and Andre prayed for six years, give us a baby, Lord, give us a baby, Lord. And I thought, man, here I am. I'm a pastor. I'm a holy man of God. My prayers ought to work. Bless God. I mean, we've anointed with oil and everything. You know what I'm saying? I anointed her belly with oil, bless God. We did everything you could do in the, in the, you know, in the scriptures. And then we went through that season and God did something in our hearts. And we talk about his provision. He did something in our hearts, and all of a sudden it changed. And I remember one night we prayed specifically at the end of like six years, and God showed us very clearly, you're not to pursue this, you're to adopt a child. And then we said, well, God, that that ain't even right, though, because we're talking about adopting a child. We have a baby. That's cheap. You adopt a child, that number is astronomical financially. How are you going to come up with that money, Lord? And so we stepped out in faith, and we didn't know how it was going to happen. We started setting, setting aside some paychecks. I'm telling you, folks, I don't even want to name the number. It's almost embarrassing how, how much it costs to adopt, adopt a child. But the fact of the money is we started setting aside one of my paychecks, and we, were, we, were, we knew the time was coming. And by the time that it came, so many people were generous here and there. We had some stacks in a bank account, and the number, we were short about $3,000. And we were about to head to do it right then, and we had to make the payment in about a week. And they gave us a call, and they said, you just qualified for a subsidy of how much? $3,000. My point being is, you follow God. You trust Him. You hear not what you want. God, what are you wanting to do? What are you wanting to do for somebody else? God was wanting to do something different in our lives, and it's, it's a greater blessing than it could have been even as we wanted in the beginning. See, what I'm saying right now is sometimes when things don't go your way, God is still providing for you. He's providing for you what you need over what you want. And a lot of times what you need is far more important because God is not so interested in you getting what you want as He is in you becoming what He's called you to be. He's after your heart. See, because when you're in a wilderness season, there's actually two wildernesses that are going on. The first one is just the trial itself. The first wilderness is, man, this is hard. We're going through a hard time. We're going through a difficulty. And outwardly, you see the circumstances. You see that you're not being provided for, maybe. You don't have what you need. You're lacking. It's painful. It's stressful. You're struggling. But the second wilderness is the wilderness that is going on in your heart, and that is the attitude toward the trial. 
And man, we were going through a wilderness when we were dealing with infertility, but the greater wilderness was the wilderness that was in my heart because I can remember shutting down for a couple of months. I can remember having a hard time praying to God. You know what I'm saying? Wasn't that I was real mad, you know, because I was pastoring and I had to get up and preach on Sundays. But it's like, what's up, Lord? You know, I remember we used to be intimate, but I'm a little bit ticked off right now. Anybody ever been there? I'm just being real. Bless the Lord. And I pushed through it, but I was, I was a little bit callous because somewhere or another I doubted God's provision. And what he's saying is, no, my provision is always good. I'll always provide for you exactly what you need in every situation. But see, here's the other thing. Even when God provides for you, even when God gives you a child or, or God answers your prayer and gives you a new home or, or whatever it is that God ends up giving you that's a beautiful thing, guess what? Even when you get that, does it fully satisfy? It does not fully satisfy. Because he's talking about a bread that transcends the physical reality that we live in. He's saying there's something greater. And number two, see, in the new covenant, Jesus embodies God's provision. So the, bread, the, the table of showbread embodied God's provision, His natural resources, His abundance that He gives us each and every day that He comes to us. But Jesus embodies God's provision in the, in the, in the New Testament. You remember in the Old Testament in Genesis 22, it's a beautiful picture Y'all know the name Jehovah Jireh, right? Everybody, you can sing songs about that and shout and everything. Jehovah Jireh, yeah. But y'all ain't, y'all don't know nothing about that. <laughs> we got to get, we got to take y'all on a visit to some other churches. We're going to go Sunday night. I'm going to have everybody meet me in the parking lot one night. We're going to go to some Pentecostal churches, you know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> in Genesis 22, Abraham goes and he offers his son Isaac. And his son Isaac is climbing Mount Moriah, which is actually the same mountain that Jesus was climbing. That was the hill that Calvary was on. And he's climbing it, what, with the wood on his back, representing Jesus Christ the Son, climbing Mount Moriah, going up to his own death. And they were going to take him as a sacrifice there when he got to the top. And, of course, Abraham was stopped by the angel and said, Don't sacrifice him. And guess what? They looked over in the thicket and there was a ram. And at that place, Abraham said, the Lord shall provide. Therefore, he called that place Jehovah Jireh. God, our provision. See, because Jesus, he was saying Jesus is ultimately our provision. God is going to provide a sacrifice. God is going to provide a lamb. And Jesus embodies that in the new covenant. And see, Jesus demonstrates the table of showbread. We've been going through John, right? In the book of John, he demonstrates this in a new revelation, in a new way like we've never seen before. And see, if you remember, Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish that a boy had one day and he fed 5,000. And the number 5,000 was men because if you talk about women and children there, you're looking at fifteen to 20,000 people. You're talking about a potluck of a lifetime, right? You're talking about catfish po'boys for everybody. He multiplied the loaves. He multiplied the fish. He fed all of them. I love what it says, though, because you're looking at 15,000, 20,000 people. They're like, Lord, how are we going to feed these people? We ain't got but a few loaves and a few fish. And, he said, and you know what Jesus said? He said, command them to sit down. Sometimes you need to be commanded to sit down. What's that sit down position? It's a place of rest where you stop laboring. You ain't going to be able to produce enough food for these people, so you need to sit down and you need to rest because you need to watch God work. And sometimes the best thing you can do is sit down and then listen to the Lord. What did Jesus say? He took the bread and the loaves and He gave thanks to God. Sometimes thanksgiving is when you're about to set yourself up for some multiplication. When you can give God thanks for the little that you do have, you're about to set yourself up for some multiplication. 
And all of a sudden, they start to hand these fish and these loaves out. And as they do, man, the food is just multiplied. And you remember at the end, Jesus says, boys, go take up the basketfuls of leftovers. Anybody know how many basketfuls of leftovers they took up? Anybody know? Twelve. They took up 12 this time in, in, in John, John chapter 6. And here's what it says in ver, chapter uh, 6, verse 26 through 27. Because here's the beautiful thing. He fed 15,000 people. Listen, I don't know. If we watched a guy take a few loaves and a few fish today and multiply it, we'd be like, boy, we're going to make that dude tomorrow. Because I like crappie, and when you fry it like James Garrison and them used to, like, we're going to eat it. And, and, and so they're, they're doing that. And, and they say, we got to figure out where this guy's at. Jesus goes and he walks on water that night. He goes to another place the next day. He's in Bethsaida specifically. That's going to be important when we get toward the end. And they follow him and they go to the place where he's at because they're looking for another meal. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me. Now notice this because you've got to ask yourself why you're seeking Jesus. Not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. He's saying, look, don't, look, don't work for food that spoils. Most of you, you spend your life working for clothes and for food. And Jesus said, if you just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all of that stuff will be added unto you. He's saying you're spending your whole life working on food that spoils. Kayla gave me a wonderful testimony because you know, last week, you remember, we had, we had taken up some money for a family, but they had went before we took up that money and helped. And, and Kayla had said that when she went into this woman, they were helping, her, helping them get some things together and clean up. And this woman, uh, she, you know, she tears up and she says, I always wondered if there was a God. She said, now nah, I know there's a God. Now, why, why did she feel that way? Why? Because she saw the image of God in people that loved her enough to come and supply her needs. Because God reveals himself in ways where he comes and he supplies our needs. But here's what I would say to that. It's, one, it's a beautiful thing that God comes and he supplies our physical needs. Isn't he? he puts clothes on our back. He puts food in our bellies. And he, and, he feed, and, he, and, he, and he takes care of people down the road through us whenever we have the opportunity. But Jesus is saying, yes, that's good. And God will do that. But it's not the most important. You can have your belly filled. You can have nice clothes on your back. But if you don't have Jesus in your heart, you don't have anything. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's something greater than that right there. And you know, there's a lot of people out right now. It's getting crazy out there, isn't it? We're talking about doomsday prepping and everything. Anybody in here a doomsday prepper? Like you got a bunker underneath and canned food stacked up just in case. It's good to store that stuff, I'm sure, but Jesus teaches us that, listen, there's something else. You don't need to be storing up for yourself treasures on earth. You need to be storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. You need a different kind of bread. Do not neglect eternal food. Here's what he says in verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, 
Give us this bread always. And what they're saying is, Jesus, it's really great that you fed 5,000 and you did all that. But you know what? Moses fed them people for 40 years. Won't you feed us for 40 years and then maybe we'll believe. And Jesus is saying, you think Moses was the one that fed them in the wilderness? It was not Moses that fed them in the wilderness. It was God. Matter of fact, in Exodus 16, 4, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven. Wasn't no Moses making bread come down from heaven. It was God Himself. In Psalms 105.40 it says, They asked and He brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. I think it's a funny story in the Bible. I'm going to sidetrack just for a minute if it's okay. It came to my mind. But uh, the quail. Anybody ever ate quail? It's pretty good. Um, But they brought quail when they were complaining so much one time. You know that God rained quail down from heaven up to their knees? And they ate so much quail, the Bible says this, that they vomited it out of their noses. One time I got real sick back in, back in my days before when I was in college. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It happens. And I had ate hot dogs that night. And one big chunk got stuck in my nose. And it took me a while to get that thing out of there. Oh, gosh. The board's going to call a meeting. They're going to, Clay, we're going to. Ask you to step down. No. I got to bring the Bible to life for you. What's the point? He's saying, you complained so much that I finally gave you what you wanted, and what you wanted still didn't satisfy. You vomited it out of your nose. Sometimes God's doing you a favor when He doesn't give you everything you want because He'd spoil you and you'd get sick. You'd get sick if He gave you every single thing that you wanted when you wanted it. So He's doing you good. See, here's the thing. He's saying, look, boys, Moses never multiplied no bread. Ain't no man ever multiplied bread. The only person that can multiply bread is who? God. He's saying, I am God. I'm not just Moses. I'm not just Abraham. I'm not just Jeremiah. I'm not just Ezekiel. I'm not just any regular prophet. I am the bread of life. Number three is that Jesus is the bread of life. He said, you've been eating the bread. You know about the table of showbread. You know about the tabernacle. You've been studying about the bread. And you're, but he's saying, you still don't get it. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, one feeding is good, they're saying. But man, we need more than that. We don't just want a Messiah, we want a meal ticket. And this is our problem as Christians. Like, and, and it happens, you know, people talk about the prosperity gospel all the time. Like, we don't just want Jesus, we want what Jesus can give us. And we don't just want church and being a part of the body of Christ to serve Him. We want what the church can give us. And as soon as it doesn't meet my needs as I want them, well, I'm going to go look for another place. Somebody amen me, right? And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what it's about. The bread of life is not what... Jesus didn't come to give you the American dream. He came to give you heavenly dreams. He came to say there's a kingdom that you know not of that is coming and you can prepare your heart in the here and now because when I come and when I return, you will rule and reign with me in this kingdom eternally. But I am that bread of life. There's a satisfaction that you don't have that food is not getting you, that money's not getting you, that a new house is not getting you, that even having babies in a good family is still not getting you. You're empty on the inside and you need the bread of life. This is what Jesus is saying. And this is what the world needs to know. I thank God that the church is equipped to go out into the community on occasion and feed people and bless people and help people. And you need to give them bread for their bellies, yes, but you need to give them bread for their souls. 
you got to give them bread for their souls. you got to tell them about this Jesus that's able to transform the heart. When we talk about bread, it's typified throughout Scripture. Even when Jesus was born in the book of Micah, it said specifically that He would be born in a very specific place. In the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, I believe it is, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, right? It says, You're, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. Bethlehem is two Hebrew words. Bet, house, laham, bread. He came from the house of bread. In other words, it was typifying that the place he was going to be born was going to be like a bread factory where all the bread of life was going to be pumped out to all the world from that very location. That's where the bread was going to be born, y'all, in the house of bread. And he's born there, but here's what's very interesting because in the Hebrew language, so often you'll find words and they always have double meanings. Not always, but very often they have double meanings. And the word bread, lahem, is also the exact same word. It has the same root word for fight. So, for example, in Exodus 14, it says, The Lord will fight, the word there is the same word for bread, for you, and, and, have, and you only have to be silent. Notice that. The Lord will fight for you, lahem, and you will only have to be silent. Same, it could be interchangeable for bread. In Exodus 16, it says very, something very similar. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread, lahem, same word right there, from heaven for you. In two chapters aside, what's God doing? He's setting in their mind. Just in Psalm 23, David said it. He said, You prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? It means when you got a fight on your hands spiritually, He's saying the best thing you can do is sit down at the table and begin to feast on my goodness. When you got a fight on your hands, the best thing that you can do is be silent and begin to feast on my word. And if you receive my presence and my word, you can be silent and I will fight on your behalf. He said, when you eat this bread of life, you don't have to worry about standing up and fighting anymore because I'm going to start fighting for you. I'm going to start fighting for you. This is an amazing picture. You remember Jesus, the very first temptation that Satan comes, Satan says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And of course, Jesus quotes scripture that we just read out of Deuteronomy. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was breaking the bread, what did he say? He broke the bread that would have been in the same shape of bread that was on the table of showbread. He would have broken that loaf and said, this is not just any bread. This is my body which is broken for you. When they were eating that table of showbread, at, at that table there, they were eating that bread, they were eating the body of Christ. They were receiving His presence, His goodness. You know, tonight if you come to worship night, we're planning on receiving communion together. We've not done that in a while because of COVID, but I'm ready to break that cycle, right? So we're going to have communion tonight. We're going to receive the body of Christ. We're going to receive the blood of Christ as a church family, as a group of people. But see, they had that over and over again. You remember there was a woman, a Syrophoenician woman. Her, her child was grievously vexed, demon-possessed. And she comes to Jesus, and she's not, she's not an Israelite. She's not a Jew. And Jesus actually says with his disciples in tow watching, and he says, look, it's not good to cast the children's bread, right, to dogs. I thought, my Lord, Jesus, you just called that woman a dog. But he's doing that to try to evoke a response in his disciples because his di he knew that his disciples thought about this woman this way. His disciples thought they were outcasts. Jesus didn't feel that way about her. They felt that way about her. The woman says, but yes, Master, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. And he says, I've not seen such great faith. And then all of a sudden, immediately, her daughter was healed because she believed. He's saying this bread right here brings deliverance. This bread brings healing. This bread of presence, of God's presence, brings what you need in your life. And Jesus saying, this is what 
I'm here for. Now, the first one, I'm going to finish right here. Let me put, put up this picture of this land, and we'll finish up. Yeah, you see that? That's, I don't know if you do see that. I tried to find a map that could describe what I was wanting to teach here in the end. But if you see this map, this is kind of the innards of Israel, so to speak, and you see Galilee. Now, if you see right above the Sea of Galilee right there, there's a place called Bethsaida. Right, above, right at Bethsaida is where Jesus fed 5,000 people. That's where he was at in that location. That's what it says in John 6, 1, right? Uh, and after that, he went up around the Sea of Tiberias, which is up there at the top, and he comes back around down the bottom, and he comes into another place. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I'm going to try to make sense of this for you. This land, if you see that big green outline, over here on the west side was actually what they called the place of the twelve. Because in the beginning, when Israel set up in the land of promise, they set up on this west side over here in Galilee. And what they did was they drove out seven nations. You can read in this Deuteronomy, there were seven nations. Y'all remember the song by White Stripes, the seven-nation army couldn't hold me back, right? He was writing it after that. There's a seven-nation army. And he came in, and there were seven nations, and they drove them out. They drove the nations eastward into this place called the Decapolis. This is very interesting, right? Y'all still with me? So they called the place on the west the place of the twelve. They called the place on the right in the east the place of the seven. It's a very specific distinction. Now, in the place of the seven, if you remember, down here is Gadara. That's the Gadarenes. That's when Jesus crossed the ocean and he came, or he crossed the, the sea there. And when he crossed, he came over and a demon-possessed man with a legion of demons came out against him because they believed that that place was oppressed by demons. Matter of fact, here's what, uh, what a Jewish historian, Ray Vanderlaan, said. He said, seven pagan nations were driven from Israel in Joshua's day. And Jews believed that the area was dominated by the devil. The pagans were known for worship of fertility gods, and many of their practices were detestable to God's people. And so here's what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 51, 52. Let me read a few more verses. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Then, in chapter 7, verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. Notice where? In the region of the Decapolis. He's already fed 5,000. Now he's moving down over to another place in the Decapolis. He went from the place of the twelve, he went down to the Decapolis, the place of the seven. And in chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, it says, They were satisfied after he fed now 4,000. And in verse 8 it says, And they took up broken pieces left over. Notice how many pieces they took up. Seven baskets full. Now, they go through this, I'm not going to read it to you, but they go through this big argument because they have no idea what Jesus is doing and He's trying to give them a picture. And they don't understand. He says, boys, are your hearts still hardened? Do you still don't understand what I've done with the loaves? Because, listen, if it was me, all He had to do was multiply the bread one time and I'd have believed Him. Amen. But He does it twice. And the question is, why does He do it over here in the place of the twelve and feed 5,000 and tell them, hey, go pick up some basketfuls? And they pick up specifically... Twelve basketfuls. Then they go down to the Decapolis and he feeds 4,000 and he says, hey, go pick up the basketfuls again. And what do they pick up left over? Seven basketfuls. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you boys don't understand. You think that I came and I'm just the bread of life for Israel and I'm just the bread of life for the 12 tribes, but I'm telling you that I am the bread of life for the entire world. 
the people that you drove out, the people that you thought were demon-possessed, the people that you thought were too broken to be saved, the people that you called dogs, the people that you did not re- that you kept rejecting. He said, I'm not just here to be the bread of life for you guys. I'm here to be the bread of life for every individual that ever exists throughout the face of the world. And no matter how far they've gone, because of my blood sacrifice, they can come and they can feast on me. I am the bread of life. And I'm telling you right now, listen, Jesus came, but He didn't just come for you. He wants you to feast in His presence just like the priest. But the reason the priest could minister to the people was because they came to the bread of presence. And God has called you to be a minister in this community. And we got so many people that do in various ways. Amen. I told Brian Jackson the other day, son, he's a working outfit, that guy. And God, I told him, you know, God equipped him for a very specific... There are things he can do that I can't do. Like if i got to fix something, I'm like, Brian, you can come down here and fix this because I sure can't do it. You know, everybody has their role in this community to minister with the gifts that God has given them. But when you, you're able to minister more effectively, why? You come to the bread of presence. You receive from Jesus. And He reminds you that this bread is not just for you. This bread is for those that are down the road, man, that are drug addicted, that are half crazy that you think that are never going to be saved, I'm telling you and I want to declare that I believe Jesus is going to save people that would blow your minds in the next little bit. But it requires us taking bold steps of faith and believing that Jesus will do it. Believing that Jesus will do it. Praying for these people and pressing on. But here's my last question for you. You've got to ask yourself this morning, is Jesus truly the satisfaction of your soul or are you still waiting for something else? I know it would be nice if you had a better house. I know it'd be nice if you had a better car. Shoot, I'd like a better paycheck. I'm still waiting on somebody to write that $500,000 check to the church so we can advance. You know what I'm saying? I get it. I'm just joking, by the way, but I'm not really. I get that. In our lives, there's a million different things that pull us here, that pull us there. We want this, we want that. We think, man, if we just get that, we'll be satisfied. I'm telling you, there's only one thing that's going to satisfy. And that's your relationship with Jesus where you feast on His presence. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, we just want one thing. And that's where we come this morning. I pray right now, Lord, that Your Spirit would come to speak deep into our hearts. Because, Lord, we are, we are pulled in every direction by the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Lord, we're striving for satisfaction. And, Lord, the good news is, is that you give good gifts to your children. And we're thankful, God, for the clothes that are on our backs. For, for, for God, the, the, the food that is in our bellies, Lord, and the houses that we have over our heads. We thank you for those gifts, Lord. But at the end of the day, Lord Jesus, we just declare what we want is you. What we want is you. So, Lord, help us to come to that bread of presence, to feast on your goodness, to feast on your love, to receive everything that you have for us, Lord. We love you, God, and we declare it this morning, and we open our hearts to you. And if there's anybody in here this morning, I always just like to give somebody an opportunity to respond to the, to the sa- to, in saving faith to Jesus. If you say, I would love to give my life to Jesus and, and follow him today, would you raise your hand just put in the presence of God, just right here? I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but just raise your hand. I see somebody back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? I think I saw another one right there. Put it up high just for me. Let me know. Let me know clearly. You're the one. You want. I see another person. Yes. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray right there. Where you just raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer to Jesus. And you can just because you can pray it again if you didn't raise it. 
Say, Lord God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And right now I confess my sins to you and I ask you to forgive me afresh, Lord. Forgive me and cleanse me in your blood. And Lord, I give my life to you and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, change my heart. Change who I am. Give me strength to draw closer to you. Lord, nothing, in the, nothing else in this world satisfies. I just want to know you. I want to be satisfied in you, Jesus. I want you to just receive that this morning. Lord, you're our satisfaction. So I'm believing that two people right here this morning raised their hand prayed that prayer that Jesus is working in your heart right now. Lord, I just pray for your, your presence right now to overshadow them, to give them strength, to give them peace like never before. Just love on them this morning, Lord. Listen, we're going to stand to our feet and worship. If you need prayer, even if you two that raise your hand, if you